easy way to transition into this, but has anybody seen Talladega Nights? I don't, I don't know how else to, like, I thought about like 10 different ways. How do I do this creatively? Um, you don't need to raise your hands because then like, man, you're a heathen. What are you doing watching that movie, right? Yeah, okay. Uh, but Talladega Nights, so if you've seen it, um, you would probably remember a scene at which they are getting around the dinner table and they are going to say grace. And Ricky Bobby, played by Will Ferrell, is the one to lead the prayer over the food. And he starts it by praying to baby Jesus. And he goes on and on and on and talks about baby Jesus, baby Jesus this, baby Jesus that. And at some point, his wife interrupts and says, hey, you don't have to pray to baby Jesus. He has grown up. And then that starts this whole dialogue, and they're going back and forth. And he's like, but no, I like praying to, Christmas, or to baby Jesus. Christmas Jesus is my favorite Jesus. And it starts talking about the reasons why and things like that. And and then the father-in-law interrupts again and is like, he's a grown man with a beard. Stop praying to baby Jesus. And then you start hearing other ways. And he refers to him as infant Jesus. Uh, he refers to him as, you can pray to grown-up Jesus if you want. You can pray to teenage Jesus if you want. Uh, you can pray to the one with the beard. Um, but I'm going to pray to baby Jesus. And then his kids and even his, you know, his partner start saying like, man, I, I imagine Jesus wearing a tuxedo shirt because he's kind of saying like, you know, I'm here to party, but like I'm serious. And like that's, and one of them's like, I pray to Jesus as a ninja because, you know, he's doing these things. And, um, and then one of them says, uh, I imagine Jesus with wings playing with Leonard Skinner. Like they just go on and on and on. Each praying to Jesus is who they want him to be so that they can get what they are praying for. And as we continue our message series this morning, Ancient Future Advent, that we've been in for a couple of weeks, leading up to candlelight service on Wednesday the 22nd here, which is going to be great, no church the 26th. Um, as we do this, we may find that in this Christmas uh, season, there's more than just celebrating the birth of who Ricky Bobby would say, an eight-pound, six-ounce newborn infant Jesus who doesn't even know a word yet. But as we go back several thousand years this morning, I think we'll see the grown-up version of Jesus, the fullness of God's goodness and, and beauty and justice and rightness embodied and modeled in the life of Jesus. And if we're actively going against this way of life that that God has laid out through Jesus, we're going against the grain of our creator. If you've ever rubbed against the grain on something, you are likely to pick up splinters. And we're going to read from Psalm 2 this morning, and the Psalms are uh, a collection of essentially 150 different um, songs, uh, poems, prayers of all different, they come from all different periods in ancient Israel history, the people of God, all before Jesus. And though it's ancient literature, what we may find is that what's most old is actually what's most new, and, and that what is most ancient actually points us to the future, which is our future. So Psalm 2, 1 to 12 says this, the psalmist saying, why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The king of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, 
I have installed my God, my King on Zion, my holy mountain. And the psalmist says, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron and you will dash them to pieces like pottery. Now, as an ancient person, I'm terrified in this moment because I, I know iron to be the strongest material there is, and I know that me as a person of God has been referred to as a clay pot before. And it says, therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son, or he will be angry, and your way will lead to your destruction, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. A little bit different than little Christmas baby Jesus. And this is a hard passage. Um, these aren't the ones I, I look forward to in the beginning of the year saying, man, I just, can we do more of these? Like, I, I really enjoy these on Sundays. Um, I find it difficult, honestly, in, in, in a number of ways. Um, but I think that's the point. And, and, and even just hearing some of these words, I mean, we can have a lot of different things stirring up, but again, it's hard for you even to hear or comprehend or even understand a little bit of what the heck is going on here. I think we'll all feel this, and I just want to give voice to this scripture. I do not have all the answers here. And in this cultural moment, as this is a difficult passage, I find it extra difficult. Um, the way that culture is using tolerance right now, Tolerance has moved from being accepting others, even when we may not agree. We have different opinions. We have different things. So actually accepting other people and their difference. And it's actually become more about demanding that other people see things the way I do. That, that, that you need to have tolerance for me, meaning that not just create space to disagree, but you need to actually see it the way I do. And in a culture of tolerance, judgment is intolerable. In a culture of tolerance, judgment is intolerable. Now, even those words, judgment and tolerance, here's the deal. No one likes a person who is intolerable, right? I think you could probably think of people off your head of like, man, that person is so intolerable. I don't like them. No one also likes the person who's judgmental, right? So if you hold these two intentions, the intolerable and the judgmental, these, these aren't necessarily playing out in good ways. Here's an example. You can think about the parents that are very tolerant to their teenagers. And the, the parents say, hey, don't go party over there. Why don't you come party here at our house? And, and they're not saying, hey, just come party here so that I can keep an eye on everybody. I'd rather the party be here, right? Like, there's some wisdom in that. If they're going to go hang out and do stuff, I want to know what's going on. But then they go further and they say, oh, you guys want to drink tonight. Hey, why don't we actually just pick up everything for you guys? And we'll, we'll leave it here at the house. And look, we do not want to step in on the fun you guys want to have. We're, we'll go get a hotel room. So look, invite all your friends, throw the party, we'll buy everything, and we'll get out of your way. That might be one extreme of tolerance to what somebody else wants. On the flip side, you may be able to think about the parents who, like, the devil was in everything, right? Like, do not watch that. That is of the devil. You know, do not hang out with them. They are of the devil. Do not listen to this material in class because that is of the devil. 
And that what they're doing is they're passing judgment. They're making a decision to say that this is wrong and avoid this at all costs. But here's the deal. We all have a framework for judgment, don't we? Like if you look across the world right now, as you look across towers, as you look at houselessness, as you look at what drugs does to people, if you look at the, the abuses of power, if you, if you look at everything that is wrong, don't you just hope, man, like hopefully there's some judgment. Like hopefully someone is saying this is wrong and these people are going to pay for what's going on. Hopefully someone is keeping count and saying that this cannot continue in this way. But we struggle because most of us were raised in some way, shape, or form, and oftentimes we view God in the way that we were raised. Oftentimes by a father, whether that father was present or not. We learn the ways of God from the ways that we are parented, from the ways that we were tolerated, from the ways that judgment was passed down from our parents. And I think the challenge is it's easy to look out and make judgment to say, man, I wish God's judgment would move in on these horrible things going on. But I don't know the last time, I mean, I confess, like, when did I sit down and be like, God, can you bring your judgment into my life right now? You know, we, I sit and I've had a number of sitting in things, I don't know, this year, and it seems like everyone wants to use the idea of Jesus flipping tables to defend their position. I've heard this multiple times this year. You know, you guys, you remember Jesus flipped tables, like, we need to stand up and do this. Like, do we ever stop and ask Jesus, will you flip the tables in my own life? Because once the magnifying glass is on our own life, things get a little bit uncomfortable, don't they? It's much easier to look out and believe in judgment. But then to look within and ask for judgment is much different. I can remember growing up, um, and this was probably 16. Parents are going to remember these ones. Um, and I snuck out for the first and only time. Uh, you know, it was a cool thing to do. Like, I, I, my friends were all cool, and you know, I wanted to do more stuff that they did. Um, and I remember sneaking out one night. My parents was, in the, was on the second story. It was probably way easier to sneak out than the option I chose. Um, but the window out of my bedroom to get outside and go around and get to the car, like, it was a decently tall window. I got out, no problem. I go, I get in the car, I drive out, go hang out with my friends. Your imagination can run. Um, and it was getting back in the house that was the challenge. So, and I don't know, like, decent height, like, you know, I, I had a chance at this, but I remember I'm, I'm pulling, and I'm, I'm trying to get up, and there's a, it's this little pocket, and there's a bush next to me, and so it's super awkward, and, and I get up, and I kind of have to put my foot on the wall, so that makes, like, a noise, and so I just freeze, like, not knowing if that was too loud or not, and then, it, then I, I start to creak in, and, you know, I kind of roll over, and I can't remember what it was, but I fully got in, and then I knock something over in the house, and then so I hurry up, I take my clothes off, uh, I knew my shoes were like wet or muddy, so I threw them in the, like in the back corner of the closet, I get in my sheets and do the whole like pretend you're asleep thing, and sure enough, within a minute, I think my mom had popped in first, and she's like, Ryan, are you, you okay, are you awake? You know, going, and then they leave, I was like, oh no, what, I just, what's going on, why are you waking me up? And then they walk out, and then very shortly after, um, someone pops back in and is like, hey, did you leave the house? And I'm like, no, I just, I'm tired, I'm, let me go back to sleep, right? And then my mom somehow, I think she checked the bottom of my shoes, and I, looking ahead, threw the dirty shoes in the closet, right? So, like, she couldn't get me. And then about five minutes later, my dad comes in and says, Ryan, rise the hood of the car hot. <laughs> I was like, I didn't think about that one. 
And so there's a little bit of wisdom for any parents as your kids are in that age. And then what do they naturally do? I'm grounded. I can't drive. I can't go hang out with my friends for a couple of years. My parents in that moment made a judgment to say, this is not what we would have for your life. This is not how we operate in this house. These are not the things because they know what I'm out doing and they know that those are ways that are destructive to my life and to others. They're trying to stop me. I remember one more, contemplate whether I'm telling this one or not. Um, at some point, you guys are getting an insight into my late teens. They were rough, especially for my parents. Um, we were in the back lawn and I, my mom and I were at it for something. I can't remember what it was. And all of a sudden, I let go a a descriptor word of about five letters that should not have been uttered. And within about five seconds, I felt like my dad's shoulder in my chest and just like laying on the ground and his body on top of me. And, and I remember feeling this sense of like, what have I just done? I have gone too far. And I can remember in that moment, even very quickly after being super frustrated, not feeling, but there was still this sense of like, my dad just let me know what's wrong, right and wrong. But I very clearly had to go so far to tell me that you cannot keep doing this. That the way you are going is not a good way. You should turn around. You should stop. You should think about what you're doing. Now, none of those stories, and I contemplate the second one just because I'm not saying that God is sitting around waiting to put a shoulder in your chest or the image of him sitting in a cloud with a lightning bolt and just looking at you of like, yeah, go ahead, try it. Yeah, mess up, Right? That's not the image I'm trying to portray. But what I am trying to say is that in a culture of tolerance, God's judgment is a grace-filled invitation to experience more of what he has for your life. That when, when we want everything that we want, that when we think that everything else needs to see it the way we do, that no one else can pass judgment on us to say what we're doing is right or wrong, that we have it all figured out, we can be very intolerant to any form of judgment. But God's kingdom flips it on its head and saying that when you, want to be when you want to be tolerated, when you want everything that you want, I have a grace-filled invitation that, yes, can come in the ways of judgment. That is one way. But man, it's because I love you so much and I have so much for your life. So much more than you will ever see or ever understand. And I see the ways that you want to go. I see the, of why they fall short for what I have for you. I see, see why they lead to destruction for your life and in the life of others. My judgment is saying, turn around. Don't keep going that way. I have more for you than you could ever imagine. And a part of this of God being love and goodness and beauty is that if, if our life is not ultimately becoming one that is centered on love and goodness and gentleness and, and other-centeredness, it will not go good for us at some point. We will pick up the splinters to say. And it's, again, it's not that God is just like angry waiting around to throw a bolt of lightning. It's more that he is pure love, that he is goodness, that he is beauty. And if that's, that is not who we are becoming at our core, it's going to be painful. Because essentially his judgment is saying you are operating out of the ways of moving towards love and goodness and beauty. And I think for us, yeah, I mean, even the challenge, I think right away of like, oh yeah, those people need God's judgment. <laughs> My God, can you just, man, you know, my sibling, 
my parent, that neighbor, that group of people, God, you just got to do something about them. Like, you've got to change them. They can't keep doing. It's so easy to look out. That can be a warning sign. We are not becoming that person of beauty and goodness and love. Or that if we're just constantly thinking, man, if I can just get a little bit more of my way, I'll find what I am looking for. Or the idea that God likes all the people that I like, right? Like my friends, God, God favors them, right? But the people that I don't like, clearly God has issues with. Because God, if you don't have issues with them, then I have an issue with you, right? Like, I mean, we can just keep playing that out over and over. Or that we simply just expect or assume that we should have a comfortable, easy, enjoyable life. That now that we have God on our side, we will continue to receive and avoid all pain. We will continue to receive ease and enjoyment and just the fullness of life. But Jesus' teaching makes that clear, doesn't it? That it's not just about finding an enjoyable life. That it's not just about getting everyone to tolerate the things that I want them to tolerate or even to avoid judgment. And here's the deal. This is in no way, I think even as the posture of Midtown, is that, hey, once you come, like, hey, here's all the things that you need to believe and agree with and, and, and kind of rest upon to be a part of Midtown, and then you're going to see God in the right way. And I was, No. And it's also not saying that, hey, I need you guys to start seeing God this way or that you need to start seeing other people that way. No. The, the, the hope is not to get everyone to start to think exactly the same. The hope is to get everyone to start becoming more like the person of Jesus. And in order to do that, may we ask better questions. God, what tables do you want to flip in my heart? This is about opening ourselves to a God who is pure goodness, beauty, and justice, holiness, and rightness. And isn't this like the central tenet of our faith, that God is good, that God loves, that God is pursuing, that God is reconciling, that God is redeeming. The challenge, though, is that the world is not like this. The king, the conspire that was talked about in the psalm, the world is not like this. But the claim is that God is and ultimately will win and last. While everything that we want to be tolerated in will fall apart, will decay, will be no more at some point. And if we look back to this piece in Psalm 2.12, kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are those who take refuge. Part of you is like, I don't, I don't know if I want to take refuge in this God, in this one of judgment. But what he's saying here, kiss his son, you can imagine the imagery of someone getting on their knee to kiss the, king, the ring of a king. And right, the imagery, when we do that, we think about these power dynamics. That the king is saying, bow to me, kiss my ring, serve me, these kind of things. But maybe not forget that we're kissing the ring of someone who came and died on our behalf. As, as we look to Christmas, we look at the birth of a baby who then at the age of 32, 33 was hung on a cross unfairly and put to death. He came not to be served, but to serve. We are kissing the ring of someone who is here to love and to call you more and to give you more life than you could ever do on your own. And I think some encouraging signs of when we're open to this is we find ourselves more and more increasingly thankful for our life, aside from the circumstances we may find ourselves in. 
or that we're finding ourselves with more energy to be kind to people that we have trouble with and this tension of tolerance and judgment. And I, I love looking ahead a bit here for a second, then we're going to move into a practice. There's a moment in the book of Mark in the life of Jesus where he's hanging out with a couple of the apostles and they go up on this mountain and the heavens break open and people see Elijah. I mean, crazy things are happening, but there's one moment where a cloud rolls over them and there's a voice that comes down and in front of some of these disciples who are still trying to figure out what the heck is going on, the voice says this in Mark 9, 7, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. This ringing of the Psalm 2 passage that this is his beloved son. See, living the life which God has for you and I is more about identifying as Christians who God will be nice to, but actually seeing and following his son, Jesus, as the embodiment of the way, the way of life, the practice of life, living out the things that God has for us. So if I pause in just a couple questions, what are the ways in which you're not following the ways of Jesus right now? In the way that you understand Jesus of Nazareth, the best that you can kind of grasp who he is and what he taught, you know, little things, what areas of your life are conflicting his way of life? In what ways are you living for yourself right now? The areas where you're trying to gain comfort, control, any form of selfish gain. Or are you living counter to the life of Jesus? So we'll take this one step further um, and ask uh, LJ and some of the team to come forward. Um, and then if Hannah and Andy, if we can pass out um, the scriptures. We're going to pause for a handful of minutes. Um, and we're just going to reflect. So as those sheets start to get passed out, we're going to have some music playing in the background. And again, I don't have a lot of answers here. But what I hope to do is create a little bit of space for us just to sit with and let Jesus flip some tables in our own heart. How may we actually pause and let God's Spirit speak to us in a way which he's calling us to more? that we could actually receive his loving embrace, which sometimes confusingly looks like judgment. So all we're going to do for a handful of minutes is just sit. Read over those slowly, sit with them, and just ask God's Spirit to speak to you. Let him highlight an area in which you might even be unaware that Jesus might be calling you some more. Yeah. So spend a handful of minutes in that. So now why don't we why don't we move into a time of prayer? Um, Australia, just in case, I think I forgot to remind you, but I know we had the all of them listed out for the people on Zoom too. Um, to copy and paste that in the chat. But uh, I want to do prayer a little bit differently today. Um, I think we see in a number of ways that the prayer oftentimes, I mean, God knows what's in and on your heart. Uh, so it's like verbalize and communicate 
uh, to ask for things. I think oftentimes it's more so for us than it is for him. Um, but there's a type of prayer, there's a lot of types of prayer that, that I, I think are more so for us. Um, and one is to actually share the things God is doing in your heart with other people and how, how God's spirit can move through hearing others and, and the ways that we're being called. So what I want to do is move into a time where we actually say out loud, I mean, if you're comfortable, um, ask for a little bit of courage here, not to say the thing in which you feel like you're not doing good at, but what, where's God calling you to more? Give that thought for a second. As you read through those, as you prayed through those, what did God highlight? So for example, for me, off of the last one, I want to become a person of radical hospitality. I think God has so much for us when we sit at a table, when we open up our home, when we are, we are with people who are different than us, specifically those who have nothing to offer us. I love the spaces in which someone has something to offer me. Naturally. Right now, so I love the spaces where someone has nothing to offer me. So who else? You have to say it nice and loud because you don't have a mic and you got a mask on. It doesn't have to be a lot of words. It could be one word, it could be five. more often. worrying about tomorrow. One more time. Yeah, lifting you up to humbly serve others. in his goodness. Yeah. To give more. One more if it's burning on your chest. You're going to regret not saying it. prayer of Paul in Ephesians comes to mind. I keep asking that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. 
So, so by way of us saying these out loud, by way of you sitting with the things that God has spoken to you this morning, may it be our prayer for God, call us to more. Call us to more. May your judgment, your loving, good judgment, call me to more of what you have for my life. I think I'd be beside myself if I didn't say, even telling the story of my dad on the back lawn. Even with the few times that my dad really had to step in on something for very good reason. I've never questioned whether my dad loved me or not. I've never been able to question whether my dad loved me or not. I've never been put in that position. And I, I just know God loves you and us so much. And how do we, even in this space that has these sometimes mixed spaces, how to understand God, and even when we read a scripture like this, I think about how many people have experienced others just through wrathfulness, just through judgmentalism, just through harshness and just laying things down. And how much are we called to actually display the goodness and the grace of God? And let God deal with the judgment piece. Let him work with that. So if we want to grow in this, maybe here's a few things to try out for this next week, and then why don't we actually stand now, and then we're going to sing together on our way out. So first, even as you sit with just 10 of the teachings of Jesus, what would it look like to sit with a teaching a day for the next month? Open the book of Matthew, read a short teaching of Jesus, and just say, Jesus, may you flip the table inside my heart. Just take five minutes, take an hour. Then we do that. If you really want to look outside yourself, what would it look like to actually gather a little bit of money, enough where you might be kind of uncomfortable with it, maybe, and give it to that other group of people who you don't understand or don't like? Might be an individual person, might be an organization. I don't know. What would it look like to just openly give to even those you don't like? And maybe you need to write that letter. Maybe there's something that you've been holding inside of you that you've not forgiven someone for. And it's time to actually sit down and write the letter. Physically write something out and send it. There's a number of ways and practices as we we can keep doing this, but may we be informed by the teachings of Jesus. And very last thing, right in the middle of that Psalm 2.6 said, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. And as we look to that scripture, as we look to who God has placed on the high of the mountain, who has placed his king, as we look to Jesus, the good news in this is that we cannot mess up the kingdom of God moving forward. Jesus has been placed. His kingdom is moving. And there is a loving, good, gracious invitation that can look like something like judgment that is inviting you to participate in that. So may we be open to receive the goodness, the love, the mercy of God. To let him do in a work to call us more in life. May we look to Jesus for who we are to follow and to embody. And imagine what we look like as a church. Imagine what tower starts to look like. Imagine what your neighborhood and our city start to look like.